welcome to the All Things Data podcast. I don't even know what to call this edition. <laughs> the considerations edition. That's right. How to, how to build an app and consider data. It's That's still right. not a good title. It's a working title. By the end of this podcast, we might have a better title. That's right. Well, we've been actually helping out some companies lately and um, you know, we, we haven't been into the nuts and bolts so we thought we'd dive in a little more on the the technical side of things, but uh, the companies that you know we are helping and are coming kind of through Thousand ML, uh, you know, there's a lot of common common um, issues and considerations when people are building apps that you know don't always happen when you come from a straight call it a development idea. So you know, mm-hmm. we thought we'd help uh, explain a little more and. dive a little deeper into uh, things you need to consider when building an app from a data perspective. Yeah. Like a lot of, uh, a lot of current software engineers and directors and all the way up to the C level and boards know how to build apps. Right. But who really knows how to build with data in mind, obviously like a bunch of people, but uh, in Canada, we've seen the stats like only 23 or 24% of C levels believe that data and AI will change the fortunes of the company. Mm-hmm. So obviously not everybody's on the same boat. So yeah, let's figure out the considerations. Well, I think, uh, you know, a couple things is that when you're, when you come from like a software side, I just don't think that, you know, data is just kind of an afterthought when you think about app architecture. I mean, it's always, forethought for us but you know it's it's not a data first mindset but i think that if you're making a digital product like the first a digital product now is a data product yeah like the first thing you need to do is consider data well maybe not the first but it's it's definitely there um but what do you think about when you're building what are what are the considerations i mean from a dev standpoint but also from the data standpoint Well, in the era of data is the product and data is the only product and every company is a data company, Um, like really the consideration needs to be don't throw things away. That's the big one. Uh, Hoard it. Yeah, hoard your data. It's cheap. Like when I started working, you used to pay uh, for properly backed up and disaster recovery ready uh, data. So, well, data storage, you would Mm -hmm. pay... I think it was a hundred dollars per 10 gigs at that time now like hundred hundreds per gig uh yeah exactly because you had to yeah. back it up and disaster recovery and all this other stuff and you have tape and i mean you had your own data centers now yeah. throw something on you know any storage whether it's like dropbox s3 microsoft's uh google's whatever it doesn't matter where you're looking at like pennies and if you put it in long-term storage you're looking at like fractions of pennies so pennies like per really gig. store a lot of data you know bake that into your cash flow and ensure that you're going to uh, like hoard this data if you don't have the right data people to start and even if you do have it they're going to need the raw data at some point like you don't want necessarily the process data mm-hmm. uh, because in the processing you lose affinity and you lose uh, a lot of the intelligence and insight that might be baked in that you didn't think to pull out. So you aggregate right. things and you don't aggregate correctly at that time. Now you're in a place where shit, I wish I would have uh, not aggregated this or not used this 
in this manner because now I don't know what the real underlying truth is. So that's a big thing is hoard. Like, yeah, you know, you don't have the hoarder. Like... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on the S3 website right now and it's 2.3 cents per gig for the first 50 terabytes. <laughs> yeah, look at that. So if you had, what would 50 terabytes be then? Oh, uh, Nothing. <laughs> I'm just, it's, so it's like 50,000 times, what was it, two cents? Yeah, 2.23. That's per month, right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when there was tape drives and we'd have to so ship them. To, yeah, me too. Offsite, right? It's often still faster to do that with large data, right? But yeah, yeah. yeah if you had 50 terabytes uh, on S3, your monthly bill would be $1,150. That's so insane. think about that over a year. If you spend $14,000 a year, you're sort of future-proofing the data of your company. And I'm sure as a startup, you're not getting 50 terabytes of data in you know year one. You're That's probably insane. Like yeah. in the hundreds of gigs. So you're looking at no, almost like a no couple money. bucks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hoard your data. And I'm sure there's even cheaper alternatives than S3. We're not going to like price match everybody right now. Yeah. Or price shop everybody, I guess. But yeah, like 2.3 cents is not the bargain basement price for storage because you can that's get cheaper right. storage. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and that's like the frequently accessed one. Uh, it's about half. Yeah. If you like, go the longer storage, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, uh, you know, it's not there, but I mean, yeah, back in the day you would ship your things offsite, put it into a vault just in case your data set burned down. Yeah. And you had like fireproofing and stuff. So there's uh there's crazy. I didn't know S3 had different uh, tiers. I knew there was like the infrequent oh, access yeah. tier. There's another one yeah. called Glacier, which is yeah. Point Glacier is basically offsite almost one cent, <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. another one is point four cents. Yeah, <laughs> like that's crazy. Um, I wonder what Iron Mountain so is doing these days. I'm sure you shipped out for using Iron Mountain back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of other stuff. Like they do documents shredding. shredding. <laughs> yeah, but I, is that the yeah. only business they're running now? Because I don't know. I know that like the Amazons, the Googles, the Rackspaces, the Digital Oceans, the you yeah. know, the Microsofts, they still do this sort of off-site tape storage. Yeah, and tape. Well, tape. The thing is, people still like physical media, and I mean, I guess if you have your own, um, you know, if you have your own on-prem type of servers, and you need to do those kind of backups, and there's probably, you know, security type of reasons to do it you know so if your building does burn down or you do get compromised in some way that storage is sitting your data is sitting offline so like you actually can't break into it you know that's there's some sort of like physical medium but um or if you're doing like huge migrations i remember we were migrating i mean this was like 10 years ago but we were migrating like a couple hundred gigs of data and it was actually faster to just put it in a tape and then send it to AWS or I think it was Azure or something, but yeah, because it would have just taken forever to upload all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's still a a very, like if you're migrating from your own data center to some cloud, yeah, that's often the best way. They'll ship you an appliance often. So yeah, you rack their appliance, which is just basically a bunch of uh, drives drives in in a sand. So interesting. Or in an ass, sorry. They ship it to you, you fill it up with all the, you know, exabytes and the goodies. <laughs> yeah, all the goodies. And then you ship it to them and they, you decide what tier to put it in. So you can mm-hmm. go into the glacier all the way through and just have like hot data in, in the more accessible, like regular tier, right? 
Yeah, that's no, it's interesting. And it's, it's so like, we could just talk about just that alone. <laughs> you know, there's yeah, so many, sure. oh man. Um, but you know, we were talking about the app, like building an app and like some of the considerations. So hoarding, what about, um, like arch- like data architecture, or like database architecture. A lot of people I find, you know, when you're developing apps, it'll be someone being like, oh, I'm just going to use, I don't know, I'm just going to say Rails for now. And then they're like, yeah. oh, and we're just going to MongoDB it, you know, no schema, no anything. And then just be like, go do it. What do yeah. you think about, what do you think about that? Uh, it's a nice way to MVP, but mm-hmm. like you will eventually want to have some sort of, uh, of data strategy. And it's not necessarily going to be that you have to rip out Mongo. Cause I mean, you could work off Mongo. Any business can work off really almost any database if you're smart about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just how much do you want to manage that database, right? So right. if you are in a schemaless world, it makes it much easier for rapid development, but it'll make your life a living hell a little later. Uh, right. But it also allows you to dump all that data into nice formats and use it in, in tools such as Spark or or Jupyter or something like that, right? That allows you to do heavier things in data. So it's not terrible to start at any point, like a mean stack, a MERN stack, whatever it is that you're doing, Uh you know, a LAMP stack even. Um, And I've started in all kinds of those variants. Uh And then eventually you, you figure a way to hot swap things out. So you're basically running a jalopy and your jalopy's, you know, puttering along. And then you hot swap in some new rims and then you hot swap in whatever. And the database is really like the engine because it's the thing that drives all the intelligence. Mm-hmm. So hot swapping the engine just takes a little more work and a little more uh, foresight, but you can do it. So if you start in the world of very monolithic app, very one database, no schema, all that stuff, and yeah. you want to iterate out, you can do things such as write to two places, trust one as the source of truth and eventually start reading from another and then finally deprecate the old thing. So I've right. done that in many, at many occasions and it works, it works fabulously and it, you get no downtime. You just have to plan. It's not something that you can just do with one thing. You can't just do this with juniors. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need to plan uh, kind of like you need to find your escape velocity and plan this out. Right. So that's really the big thing is you're, if you don't have the right people, uh, you were likely going to need to um, get to a place where you hire a consultant or a contractor or a boutique or something that allows you to do this for you. Right. And yeah. do you feel that like, um, it's interesting because with an MVP, you know, you're just like, let's just slap it together. Like from a technical standpoint, right? Like you're testing, everything is being tested in a way where you're just like, oh, I don't really want to worry about the tech. I just want to get the business model up unless you're building something that's, um, you know, super novel, which chances are you aren't like, you're just, you know, I mean, that's why rails and, and, um, you know, angular and those things. Why am I even saying angular? No one uses that anymore, (laughs) but, um, you know, any, any kind of front end type of uh, framework now, it just kind of like auto deploys the database and it gets you up. Right. I mean, even with Amazon, you can just spin things up, um, with their oh man what's their i can't remember the name of their app engine but you know google has the app engine too like you can just i mean now there's even things like bubble.io where you can just drag and drop and you create an app and you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about you know the back end and scale and i feel like 
I don't know. I'm kind of, maybe I'm old school, but I'm just like, yo, I want control. But like, when do you, I guess, when do you make the decision to, to move to something that's less MVP E and slap it together ish and then move to something that's a little more like robust? Um, generally you, you start making that move in most app builds. Like when you, um, get to a place where it can't handle or it can't handle the, the, I guess the deluge of data or users that you currently have. So it's a good problem to have. It's just kind of a sucky problem to have. Um, it's sort of like, when do you believe that big data is big data? And it's just like, you believe it is when it's too big for you. That's really the catalyst. It's like, when you can no longer handle the load, that's the time. And you shouldn't wait until that point. You really need to be measuring all along. And once you get to some some threshold that you sort of envisioned is on your trajectory to the numbers that you expect in your forecasts, mm-hmm. um, like if you thought, okay, well, we'll hit, you know, we'll hit this amount of data and this amount of uh, usage of our database and this amount of usage of our web servers or whatever it is that you're doing uh, at this point in our trajectory. And then we see sort of like that hockey stick growth where uh, rather than taking just as long to get the other 50%, it's going to take three weeks instead of the the first year. Mm -hmm. Now you probably need to have planned for a growth or a refactor a lot earlier than that 50%. But yeah. it's possible that you get to 50% and you still have quite a bit of slack and it's still going to take you a year to get to like, you know, a high utilization of like 70 to 80%. So if you're doing the planning and the the forecasting and, you know, capacity planning is usually the big thing, then you'll have an idea of, of when and how to kind of glue all these parts and stitch them back together. Got it. Um, and do you think, you know, are there, are there technical considerations to be thinking about when you're, you know, first starting out, um, you know, being said you're kind of MVPing and you're just kind of like putting it together. Are there things that, you know, you should think about right away? Or um, consider? I think like in, when you're in like the MVP stage, it's like stand the MVP up, right? Like yeah. the most important thing is the most important thing, which is quite literally get an app working. Get it up. Yeah. So like, even if you have to duct tape things together and staple, you know, a web app to a front end and it, it's kind of clunky, but it works and your your customers mm-hmm. are satisfied, get that up. Uh, then start iterating towards the like more resilient version immediately if possible. You don't have to over-engineer things at the start. You don't have to really uh, envision every possible edge case. You kind of want to build for let's prove this out, right? Mm -hmm. So if you get to the point where you're at, let's prove this out and you're you're proving it out, find, find ways to lighten the load on both your wallet and your engineers by making decisions that allow them to easily uh, kind of put off some of these decisions till later. So rather than building a very huge Hadoop cluster or having like 
<laughs> a well a well replicated uh no sql solution yeah somewhere kind of just shove things in to some storage somewhere it could be your own disk as long as you have some kind of rate on it so you don't lose that data but you know shove it somewhere and then look to replay it back in somehow so have an idea that okay well i have all these logs i have all this data i have all this other stuff at some point when i have the features or the know-how to use that stuff in my product, I will find a way to like air quote, replay it through my mm -hmm. pipeline or whatever it is such that I can build up that intelligence. So, you know, kind of have an eye towards that, but you don't necessarily need to plan for that because, you know, this is the truth about most startups is you build an MVP, nobody buys or you build right. an MVP and it kind of falls flat. So don't over-engineer at the start. Get yourself to a place where people are paying and then make some of these decisions. Yeah, it's something usable. But I mean, like they have those, oh, there's so many no-code, like I've been looking yeah. around in that space. Yeah, I mean, companies like bubble.io, I mean, that was yeah. the one that kind of stuck out to us, um, where you're looking, if you want to stand up an MVP, you can do it in like minutes, you know, kind yeah. of thing where you're just like drag and drop a, a um like a login box yeah. kind of thing like it's getting to that point now where you're just like okay i can make an app that's a landing page essentially right it, like at yeah. the same at the same level of building landing pages now and then i mean it's hosted and whatnot so you're paying for the the monthly hosting but for all I mean, those of you who want a different kind of like on-prem solution ibm yeah. has something called node red if you connect your databases to it uh, and you can write a little bit of JavaScript, like not even a lot, like literally a little bit, um, you can basically build uh, with a visual tool, you can build APIs directly out of, uh, out of your database almost that's, with that's Node. IBM. Yeah. IBM is Node Red. Yeah. They put oh, that out crazy. as well. I think it is. I don't think it's an Apache product. That's nuts. Like, well, it's funny because if you can do all that, right? Like you've basically microserviced yourself. <laughs> and then Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's IBM. IBM created the node red thing, but now it's an Apache product. So it's oh, been, interesting. yeah. So it's now a nice open source thing. And like, if you go to IBM's, I think somewhere on their developer site, uh, a while back, I remember like poking around and looking at it mm -hmm. and they even have sort of like the hello world. So you can start building an app like right now, as long as you have a database. So oh, wow. yeah, I mean, it still takes, a little bit of work, but you could do most of that work with just your like presentation person. So the person who knows JavaScript, it's usually right. your front end person. Uh, they could basically help you build some of this if they're closer to a full stack and not just truly a front end person. Like they, they are not just like a, a react angular or view person kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it's like, I guess the other thing too is, you know, knowing what your startup is about, you know, if you're creating like an, I don't know, I was just reading an article on Airbnb. So I'm just going to say like, if you're creating like the next Airbnb, you know, you, you kind of know, you kind of need to know what your data is going to be used for. Like if you're making a, a new Spotify or I mean a new Instagram or something, right? Like, you know, your data is going to be used in a certain way. If you're doing mm -hmm. an Airbnb, you know, your data is going to be used in a certain way. So I think like just taking those, taking that into mind and then like i know when we were doing good weekend co i was talking to the developer and he was like how do you want the database and i was like oh good question <laughs> right and then i was like 
And then I was like, actually, you know what? We're going to need to run a bunch of, like, we're going to have a couple different functions, right? Like we're going to have, you know, cottages and then we're going to have descriptions of those cottages, but we're also going to have users. So, you know, we're kind of making a marketplace. So if we're doing that, you know, like we should have a table of just users. We should have a table of, you know, cottages and then maybe like a description table and then maybe like a booking table. Right. So like, just even if you, like when I was thinking in just schemas, I'm like, Oh yeah. But then after that, I was like, Oh my God, it just made life so much easier. Cause anytime we have to upload, you know, new cottages or add new users or do this and that, I'm like, Oh, it's so easy. I just need to update the one table instead of having, you know, the one of five tables versus having like one massive, like mega table. Right. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you build a, a good ORM model that powers your business and that has the relationships that you need, yeah. then it makes all of the rest of your, your app development much easier because it informs your app development, right? That's right. Well, yeah. in like future state too, it's like I can, you can hold off longer, right? Because yes. like that model will hold up a little longer. And then when you're moving to something like bigger or like more robust or whatever, like either you're just adding more tables or, you know, you can kind of re-architect a little bit later, but at least that ORM holds <laughs> a, not, not just for the MVP. It can hold beyond that. So I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, there's, I, I think there's another, the one other consideration. Well, I mean, there's so many, but a lot of people are like, Oh, I want to get into the machine learning right away, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then I'm like, if you're like, first of all, you're probably not going to have enough data to do it. <laughs> right at the beginning yeah. so like don't unless your product is a pure ml product you know like um so i think if if it is going to be something like that you'll probably have um the chops to think through that type of that type of problem already because you can't just mm-hmm. randomly think of <laughs> ml things and not know ml yeah. um but I think, you know, if you're, if you're trying to put ML in earlier in the product, I think you need to have, you need to be thinking through like what your data needs to look like as in for your model to run, which is kind of nice in a way because you're starting from zero and you're like, oh, you know, like I get to build, I get to not make the data messy. Yes. You know, everyone's always complaining. It's like, oh, my data's crap, da, da, da. And you're like, well, you, you started from zero. But I think it's really hard to kind of think through that at the beginning unless you really know what you want. Yes, 100%. Yep. Are yeah, there... And oh, go the, majority, the majority of people tend not to, uh, not to give it that foresight and sort of just throw things to the wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, most people kind of get to a place where they're like, oh, it's serverless and there's all these other things and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, and you start thinking, oh, it's going to make uh, my life a lot easier if I don't worry about the code, if I don't worry about the database and I just build up the MVP. It's sort yeah. of true. You can do it that way, like we talked about. But uh, at the same time, you end up with um, having to unwind that. So you may have spaghetti code. You may have whatever. You may have a lot of mm-hmm. tech debt at some point. So, yeah. There's, you know, and I think uh, a chunk is a chunk of things that we see from folks that come to us is that they already have something like kind of preformed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they're saying, Hey, can you AI a fire product for us? So there's a product already that's out there there, you know, people are using it. And then they're like, they want to add this intelligence layer in. 
and then we go peek under the hood and then we're just like oh my god um so i think that uh it's good to bring folks like us in eventually because i mean one it's like too expensive to do it right at the beginning and you don't even know if your product's going to work right so like exactly you don't you know unless you're spending irresponsibly you don't want folks like us coming in to to help but you know later on i think the once you kind of make that decision to to uh you know go ahead and bring bring some folks in to just kind of ramp up that side of the biz or ramp that Mm -hmm. side of the product up you know it's a good idea but there's you know things that we see all the time is you know and the reason i guess we're doing this is the things that we see is just people who don't and it's not their fault but people who aren't taking data into consideration and then you're like things like even the etl process right like you could be spending a lot of money just on processing data in a really inefficient manner if you're like a data type of company Yes. Right. Um, so I think we've seen this probably three or four times already. So <laughs> if, if yeah, you kind of run into it a lot. Yes. Yeah. So if you're taking a lot of data in, um, you should be looking to have not just a developer develop your app. Yes, you know, like if absolutely. you're, if you're consolidating a lot of data sources, um, or if you're, you know, processing a lot of data, um, and, you know, you see this at I- companies that have IoT devices also. Um, uh, companies that are um, consolidating from, like, multiple vendors or sources. Mm-hmm. And they don't have ETL in mind because they're just, like, building the app. But the technical debt, I find, racks up even faster uh, if you are in that kind of situation. Like, if you're just building an Instagram or, like, an Airbnb or, like... Um, you know, something that's like user generated. So you're not just sucking in. Like if you're using something like I want to analyze Facebook campaign data. Yeah. That's a lot of data to pull in. Definitely and, is. Yeah. And then if you just have a developer who doesn't have the development experience, like the data experience, they're just going to be like, yeah, okay, just ETL and then press the button. And then you're like, oh my God, you're spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month trying to, you know, get the data in one spot so maybe like if you don't have a lot of technical experience talk to your dev but also like talk to it some data people just to like sort it out you know maybe you can just inform the dev and you start using like a better tool like hey just use five tran or something like that <laughs> yeah. Even, right? yeah, or yeah. just go learn like airflow or something right but yeah it's you know i think a lot of people when they think of um the app if it's not a pure data app you know you're, you're still kind of in this I don't want to say old paradigm, but it's not even that old, but it's just more of like app first versus data first. Yes. So if you're dealing a lot with data um, and your product is like consolidating or pulling in lots of data, I think you need to talk to someone that's, uh, I mean, obviously a developer, but you need to bring someone <laughs> in who's, who's a bit of a specialist too. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, there You'd at, you'd at least want to consult with somebody like that, right? Like it, whether it's an advisor, a friend, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Somebody that has sort of like the lay of the land and understands uh, the kind of, not constraints, but the kind of uh, forethought that you'll need for this stuff uh, and the kind of 
foresight that you'll need in order to have a data first product in the future. Mm -hmm. You should basically talk to them and have them inform your developer or developers um, such that they can make some of the right decisions if they're not, I guess, experienced enough to make those decisions on their own kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So it often is like if you if you had to kind of go cheap and you outsourced or you had to go cheap and you uh, brought in somebody really junior that's a good tinkerer, uh, without the experience and without somebody leading them, they may make some of like in the forks on the road of building an app, they may, they may make some of the wrong decisions, which right. will force you down a shitty path. So ensure that there's at least a guiding hand if you believe that your development team isn't experienced enough to really build this out with strategy in mind uh, and really with foresight in mind, right? So uh, it should be at the very least a consult from people uh, and if you have the money, which most small businesses won't, uh, go and, you know, get somebody and pay them to at least be fractional so that they can give you the right idea to architecture. And if you pay just for that architecture and somebody builds into that architecture, it's going to be worth its weight in gold. So it's a good idea to pay for that. And then, I mean, if you don't have that money, you might be able to strike a deal in terms of uh, uh, some equity in exchange for their fractional time for a month or two so that they can architect your stuff. And those, those are all avenues that we've seen work. Um, and like, really, they're really required. Like, it's not going to be something super duper simple to, to just like get going and like create so that it's future proof. Right. Yeah. And that, that makes sense. And it's, you know, like, again, it, it all depends on your situation, right? Like if you're, ha if you're in a, a spot where you just need to stand something up really quick, yeah, you know, it's, you're probably not pulling in a ton of data, but yeah. I mean, if you're, if your goal is to, you know, be full on data beast mode, you've got to, <laughs> you, you've got to, you've got to kind of take that consideration at the beginning. I mean, you can probably do it in an inefficient way for long, uh, you know, a certain period of time, but then the longer you use it, the slower it gets and the more expensive it gets. So like you kind of have to figure out where that trade-off point is like, do you want to do it right, right at the beginning um, or, you know, kind of further down the road. But I guess it's, it, it, it all depends on the situation, but, you know, I think a lot of, you know, you listeners out there and, you know, people that we recommend is just at least talk to a friend first you know, when you're mm -hmm. building this out. And, you know, one thing we see a lot with technical founders that um, are like, they're not super tech savvy. And I mean, that's, that's not where their strengths are, right? Their strengths are usually in the business model and the, the, the bigger ideas. So I think, you know, you have to kind of expand your resources. Like don't just listen to your dev, <laughs> Mm -hmm. which is, you know, cause I mean, you're always kind of shopping around for someone and someone's going to say like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. No problem. It's super easy. But, um, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to like look around for a second opinion, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's its own, that's its own little beast. Yeah. Like very often, I mean, you hear stories like, you know, the Facebook story, if you watch the movie or whatever, and it's just like people tinkering and tinkering, and tinkering, and then they do something amazing or whatever. But like Facebook was not amazing at the start. It was basically a blog. It's not that big of a deal. It's like standing something up very small. Now Facebook is pretty, 
damn awesome in terms of engineering and yeah. in terms of the tech they have, but like they didn't stand it up and make something beautiful. You know, that was the equivalent like of two or three people deving something away and making an MVP. Like they were just, how do we make almost MySpace the better? That's right. So they, they got to that pretty quickly because it's mostly a front end app. It doesn't require a lot of hops back and forth to a database. Like it's basically, do I have a picture? Yeah. Do I have a little bit of information about my profile? Yeah. I could build like that database. I mean, I have experience, but I could build that in a day. A junior could probably build that in a week or something. Right. Right. So then you're just looking at how do I lay this out? But the world doesn't really operate like that. Like even with Mark Zuckerberg and, and his team and all the people that he worked with creating this, it wasn't a matter of like, oh, there's a bunch of juniors, we built it and it's perfect and it's just running. You no, know, they iterated nonstop along the way and they invented a bunch of stuff and they created new tech and they brought on senior people really quick as they were scaling so that they could build this right. So that's, right. that's sort of the, the things that you have to think of. It's like, there is no glamor uh, to building an app. It's not like, oh, I stood up this little uh, Shopify store. That's not really an app, but I, I stood up whatever, like this tiny little website, this Wix website. Yeah. And and now my, my business is going to run beautifully. No, there's going to be a lot of work and there's going to be a lot of engineering if you're doing a tech first and data first app. Yeah, that's right. And you you have to really... You know, I think that's one thing about entrepreneurship too, is that, you know, people are always looking at the end product. It's like, what's that first product? Because, you know, Reed Hoffman's like, if you're not ashamed of your first product, you've already over-engineered it. Yep. <laughs> and you've over-designed it. So, you know, we're, we're big fans of that. And the thing is, is if you're bringing value right away, um, you know, a lot of early adopting customers are going to forgo that because you're already solving a problem, right? Like, I mean, Craigslist was Craigslist forever, <laughs> right? It's true. And I mean, it's what's different about Craigslist now than, than before more, more sections, better infrastructure, (laughs) but like really, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things where, you know, you can't, you can't predict a lot of it either. Right. So you don't want to, you don't want to spend time, you know, on the lean manifesto, you don't want to spend time building things people don't want, right. Or building features people aren't going to use. So you're going to have to test and, and make it and make it super ugly, but you know, at least it's up and out. Um, but I mean, I guess like going back to the, to considerations is just, you know, if you're, if you're building something that's like data heavy, tech heavy, where you're pulling in and using a lot of data, you probably need to have some sort of like data pedigree, either in your advisement group or on your team, just to know, right. If you're doing something like, you know, I mean, what we were doing at uh, Good Weekend Co. It's it's not like we're pulling tons of data, and like it's not like thousands of cottages are coming in a day, right? It's like you might have a couple. You're adding a couple a week, and then new users you have. A, it's not a ton, so you're you're basically putting up a marketplace that people are browsing, and like they didn't even have booking capabilities at that time, right? So it's just super like it's like a blog essentially. So yeah, like, I mean, so you don't really need to have like hardcore data considerations for that. But if you're pulling in like Facebook, Google AdWords and like Instagram data daily, you're probably going to need someone to to help you with that. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. interesting. But yeah, anyways, um, I think, I think that's a pretty good, a pretty good roundup. Uh, mm-hmm. 
if we, you know, if we miss anything, let us know. But I think, you know, just kind of moral of the story is if you've got a lot of data and you're trying to build like more of a data e product, you probably need to have a data, a data minded developer or just have like ask a friend, even just give yeah. us a shout if you need a, if you need to chat. 100%. You use the same methods as in who wants to be a millionaire. You ask the crowd, ask a friend, or maybe go 50 50. <laughs> yeah. And if the person, I don't know what 50 50 is, but you should try it. <laughs> that's right. Well, and if the person, even if the person is a quote, quote, data developer, I would still ask a second opinion just in case. Because, like, the thing with data, data folks too, is like a lot of data people use a lot of different products. And sometimes, like, you might not have the, the breadth or that those data folks may have not come across a certain type of scenario or maybe that unique scenario. So their knowledge may be limited to what they know, but you might need to go a bit of a, a broader view on it. But, uh, you know, always, always pick your, always pick your tech team. Like you're choosing a, you're choosing a doctor, right? Like you don't just go to the first one. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe you always go to the same one and you don't actually have any consideration for that. But yeah. Yeah. Like imagine you're moving to a new town cause that's building a new app. And now you need to find a doctor and a dentist. You right. often will either look for referrals, testimonials or something. Yeah. And you're not just going to, and maybe you just go to your local dentist. That's also a possibility, but like you kind of want to know that they, they know how to do dentistry. Or yeah. they, if they're they an MD, get... they know how to doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe doctor wasn't a good, maybe doctor wasn't a good analogy, no. but, or maybe it's like yeah. a home reno, you know, like, yeah, you wanna, yeah, yeah. You don't wanna, yeah, contractor. You don't just pick the first contractor, right? You kind of want to, you know, you want to hear at least a couple of people's stories and then a couple different, uh, a couple different pitches anyways. So, and then you, you'll get a feel for it, but, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, thanks for listening in guys. And, uh, we'll get back to you guys next week. All right. Have a good one.